0: The Church Media Podcast, episode 145, Unleashing Your Creative Potential with Luke McElroy, part two. Let's do it. Hey there. Welcome to the Church Media Podcast.
1: The definitive podcast for helping you create dynamic experiences and build solid media production teams at
2: your church. We're bringing you knowledge and insight from top media professionals from around the world.
1: Useful, practical content in the areas of live production, design,
2: leadership, Digital communications. Tomorrow. The show notes for this episode and all archive episodes of the show are available online now at thechurchmediapodcast.com. The and now, broadcasting from the ministry headquarters of 1230 Media, here's your host, church media coach Carl Barnhill.
0: Episode number 145 of the podcast, I Cannot Believe that it's been 145 episodes of the show. We have a big 150th episode special coming your way next month. Some very special guests will be joining me. We've really stacked that episode. More on that in the coming weeks. You'll want to stick around for that. We're wrapping my conversation with Luke McElroy up today, finishing up Act 2 of his book, Creative Potential. Our team has been cranking away at custom media work Over the last few months, we've produced content for Seeds Family Worship, Seedbed, Answers in Genesis, Yancey Ministries, and dozens of churches around the world. We've added new custom media packages to our website. You can check those out at 1230.media. We've bundled graphic design and video content together to give you the best bang for your buck when needing a sermon series or other project. We've also doubled our worship media production calendar. So we'll have a ton of new series in a box, service packs, mini movies, and song videos hitting our site over the coming months. So thank you so much for all you're doing to support us, and we hope and pray that the content and training that we're providing is helping you transform the worship experiences at your church. After this quick church media tip, we're going to jump right to the conclusion of my interview with Luke McElroy. We're going to be chatting about collaboration how to be contagious with our creativity, and having the right perspective when unleashing our creative potential. It's all coming your way after this.
2: And now, your church media tip of the week. Useful tips and tricks to help you transform the worship experiences at your church. Here's Carl Barnhill.
0: Hey guys, Carl here with another church media tip. Consider using more high-quality video elements for your screens. If you serve in a church with under 1,000 in weekly attendance, I'm sure your first concern might be fitting this into your budget. Over the last few years, technology and software for media producers has become so affordable that there have been a flood of creatives join the space. Resources like our online store at 1230.media or worshiphousemedia.com have made pre-produced content incredibly cheap. You could easily purchase a collection of coordinating media content and a mini movie for under 50 bucks. Look at your budget. Are there things that you spend money on in other places that could be going to enhance your Sunday worship experience? Remember, your worship service is your main event. It's where the most people from your church gather at once. Spend the money to purchase high quality media content or have a graphic designer, motion designer, or video editor produce your content for you it will be well worth your investment
2: get more free coaching for your production team through our blog podcast and online resource library visit 1230.media training today this is an exclusive interview from the ministry of 1230 media
0: here is church media coach Carl Barnhill so let's get into this idea. You have kind of a love hate relationship with the word hustle. And you talk about how uh, how perpetual busyness, being busy all the time, can st- sometimes rob our creativity or is a threat to it. Walk me through that process.
1: Yeah, I have a love hate relationship with hustle. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys out there uh, who have sort of, you know, Tim Ferriss, Gary Vanderchuk, uh, several others. That sort of have this message that they're preaching of now, just grind.
0: Wait a sec, wait a sec. Be careful, because Gary listens to the podcast. So,
1: <laughs> well, I love these guys, and to I'm be kidding, honest, you, they've stepped into their own creative potential by being unique in their way. But, but I, I would love to have a candid conversation with God to say, what do you think about this whole hustle, grit, grind sort of you know message that's being proclaimed? Because. When we believe those, when we believe that hustle is everything, when we believe that, you know, we just got to go and get our grit and just power through the sort of tasks. I love that from a standpoint of there's incredible drive there. But taken to the extreme or taken just an ounce too far, we can begin to think that we have all the control over our creative endeavors. Yeah. And, and I'd, I'd say it this, I'd, I'd sort of go as far as to say, I think one of the greatest threats to all of creativity is. Our perpetual busyness. Um, and, and part of that may be something for leaders to hear right now to say, hey, the threat to the creative healthiness of your organization is for constantly throwing task upon task upon task upon project upon project upon project to your team. And if you're a creative And you're sitting there going, man, I feel on the edge of burnout. Um, I love what my friend Andrew Johnson says about this, that people burn out not from too much to do, but too little reason to do it. And I think that that's true because when we get to a place where we're just doing and doing and doing, we lose the heart. And that's where that excellence factor comes back in. If we are doing things from the heart, if we're really invested, the why is always there. the purpose is always there and so when we get so busy that we allow our our activity or our hustle quote unquote to blind our ability to see the purpose or the process or the god calling in the doing that we're doing, we fall right back into the trap that I did in the first part of the book that I shared and in the first part of our podcast that i used I just thought that it was my doing that made me Uh, Sort of worship God, not the being that I was. And so that's why I just think that our busyness, this never ending, never stopping thing, um, is our greatest threat. I mean, in Mark, I don't remember what chapter off the top of my head, but uh, in the Gospel Mark, I mean, it it, it even says, Jesus even says, I think, that, you know, Sabbath wasn't made, man wasn't made for Sabbath, Sabbath was made for man, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think that that's because God didn't need a day of rest. And so, therefore, he created Sunday to be this day of rest. Now, everyone listening here is going, well, my day of rest isn't Sunday. You're right. But I do hope you take Sabbath um, because we need rest. We need rejuvenation. And, and I think in many ways what we need to be willing to say to those around us and we need to be willing to say to ourselves is that I am far better taking a day of rest and relying on God to do the most he can with those other six days than I am on me doing and being and striving and straining seven days a week, hustling my way to excellence. Mm-hmm. Because there's a glory that happens in that, and God gets credit for those sorts of things. That I mean, I, people may have already thought about it, but this is totally why Chick-fil-A is so successful. I mean… I mean, I I think they make great food, but there is a staggering statistic that I put in the book of how successful they are from a profit standpoint over all their other competitors, and they're closed one day of the week. They're only open six-sevenths of the week as much
0: as their competitors. Yeah, incredible, incredible. Um, I think, and I've quoted you, kind of related to this, I've quoted you on this before, actually, in that if we are so— Busy, uh, we almost kind of put a persona out that we're so busy that we are unavailable for people. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. and uh, I, you know, I, I'm trying you must to read lo- some of the articles I've put out. <laughs> well, you know, I kind of skim them so that if I need to quote you, I can. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, let, let's not. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, all right. So uh, but yeah, seriously, I have, uh, you know, mentioned you in, in this um, uh, on this topic before, because I, I and I, I struggle with this, too, uh, in that uh, you know, people see us as busy or important or whatever. And we can sometimes be so, quote, important that we're unavailable for people. And that people don't feel like they can approach us. Well, I don't. I don't want to bother him. You know, he's t- he's so busy, um, and, and I think that's that's the wrong impression that we need to, to give to people. It, it kind of reverses the. I mean, uh, you know, especially as leaders, to to love on our team and to love on our volunteers, and for them to have the the thinking that we're unavailable for them, um, it, it can be the wrong impression to give. Do you know how to get out totally. of that?
1: Well, I think I, it's funny because I think what you're referring to a little bit is I've, I've got this sort of statement in my life that I've, I've tried to stop saying the phrase, I've been busy lately. You know, I think that's yeah. sometimes we wear that like a badge of honor. Right. You know, oh man, you must be so busy lately. And I just, every time I hear that now and someone asks me that question, I get the sense it's like a baited question. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that or I want when you to say to say someone like, how you been? And they're like, man, I've been so busy. To me, that's a cop out. To me, that is me saying, hey, Carl, I don't care about you enough to say, hey, life's been really full. Let me tell you all the things that's been going on and invite you into my mess or invite you into my chaos. When we say the phrase, I'm busy, it sort of is this bandaid we put on our lives. And then we allow everybody just to sort of fly by it because they go, oh, man, you must be just so busy. That's awesome, dude. So glad you're busy. Well, busy to me has started to mean isolated. And so some of the ways we can sort of overcome that is just to make sure that you're constantly trying to find community. Um, Make sure that you find margin and space when you can and and protect that like crazy. I mean, protect that Sabbath. Um, It's funny because I talk to a lot of people in church media and they go, well, how do I protect that when everybody else manages my calendar? And I go, well, the first question is you should have a one-on-one sit down with your pastor and ask him that question heard that question because your leader in your organization, if they are protecting Sabbath for themselves, which I rarely find pastors who don't protect their own Sabbath. Now, sometimes that may be message prep on a Saturday just rehearsing or whatever, but most pastors take Friday and Saturday off if they're going to teach all day on Sunday or they take another day of the week. And when you sit down and ask them that question, then you're inviting them into this very problem that maybe they're creating and they just don't realize it. Mm. And it's really a way of using sort of the verbiage or the mission and vision of an organization to try and gain influence in that organization because you start using the language of your leader in order to speak that you need more time or more 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 margin or whatever.
0: Yeah. All right, let's I get like
1: we keep deviating off into the leadership stuff, but I we love do. it.
0: We do. Um, okay. so kind of speaking of that and and wrapping back to what we mentioned a little bit earlier in that um, it kind of being excellent at our craft. You use the example of Steven Spielberg, that he is not the best at everything. He when you think of Steven Spielberg, you think one of the greatest film directors of all time. That's what you think of. That's the director,
1: long. Not greatest actor Greatest right. musician Greatest score Greatest writer I mean we don't We don't add all these other things Right Like when you and, and when you go to IMDB You don't see all I mean he's got some other things Producer Director You know Cinematographer But those are all basically The same Extensions of one another You don't see After Effects Or uh, Motion graphics You don't see You know special effects You don't see music You don't see acting Necessarily Outside of himself And I think that there's there's a powerful principle we can learn from that, and that's this principle of we can become more in our lives or we can become more in our calling if we choose to do less in the execution of that calling. Um, because I think that Steven Spielberg uh, is the best because he's focused. He he does one thing, he does one thing well. He makes great films. But he knows that it, it takes a team. He knows that it takes a community around him. Um, there's a great. I had a great conversation with, um, Whitney George from Church on the Move about this one day. We we were asking him to come speak at SALT, and we were talking about this concept of uh, excellence. And he actually said to me, he goes, um, well, I, you know, I, we were talking about Spielberg and sort of how excellent he is, and he was like, yeah, sometimes I, I feel bad when I tell churches, like, Hey, you saying that you want to become Steven Spielberg is virtually impossible because the amount of time and focus that he has just on making films in his life, we could never do in the church because we have so many other needs. And so we're only going to let ourselves down. We sort of compare ourselves to him. Of course, that goes back to that comparison trap concept. But I think there's a principle we can take out of that and say when we step into our calling, our calling is not going to be 20 things. Our calling is going to be one, two, or maybe three things at most. I mean, here's what's crazy. Jesus really, I mean, Jesus fed the 5,000, you know, discipled the 12, but he really mentored three. And I love the way that Rick Warren talks about this because he says, listen, if you're trying to mentor more than two or three people, you're not Jesus. Jesus didn't mentor more than three. So how do you think you can? And I think that there's some amazing truth to that when you come down to say Jesus' calling was to basically invest his life into the cornerstone men of the church so that the kingdom of God could be seen here on Earth. He chose three people. He didn't choose to just get a YouTube channel and broadcast out to the world, although I think he may have used YouTube um, <laughs> if he had YouTube. But point is, if, if you're doing 20 things, like if, you, if you're saying to yourself, man, I want to be a filmmaker, I want to be a stage designer, I want to be a lighting guy, I want to be a video person, I want to know audio really well, I want to understand film scoring, I want to be a designer, I want to be an After Effects genius, First of all, if you have to take a breath when you talk about your calling, maybe you have too many things in your wheelhouse. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And maybe part of what we can learn from Spielberg is if we just focus, we'll step further into excellence than we ever could because we're basically throwing all of ourselves into one or two areas.
0: So how do I—what if I uh, think—I'm sitting here thinking I'm a church media guy that is kind of a one-man band at my church, and I'm expected to be excellent at everything media, audio— Video lighting. If I'm the, uh, you know, maybe video is my sweet spot, but because I'm the, you know, uh, I'm sure there are a lot of people in the church that might see me as as the the sound guy. Uh, I guess what I'm getting at is, what if my position at church, or what if my church doesn't allow me to focus on one thing? How do I wrestle with that?
1: Well, I think that. Um, What I would say is that you need to go buy the book Fired Up
0: by Andrew Johnson, (laughs) and
1: you need to dig into some of the concepts that he talks about. Um, I forget what chapter it is, but uh, it's chapter eight, I think, Power to the People, where he's talking about the difference between a doer and a leader. And if your call is to be over all things media, then we've got to figure out how we stop doing so much and we start leading more from the standpoint of... Um, if you're over all these areas, what does it look like for you, you're calling to actually be leading creatives rather than being a creative? Now, you may still need to have a creative outlet every once in a while. Maybe you find this one or two projects that you really invest yourself into on a seasonal basis so that you can still have that tactile creating bit. But what does it look like? I I literally had a guy in my office the other day. His name was Steve, and I don't think he would uh, be offended if I shared this, but he is the only full-time paid staff member at his church that deals with the media department. So they handle all Sunday morning as well as all communications, social media, website, everything. That's a, that's a massive task for one person. And I asked him, I was like, how do you do this? And he just got promoted to media minister. So he's now ordained and the church put him through an ordination process. And because he's now a pastor, he's part of this sort of uh, he gets one month sabbatical after seven years of pastoral ministry. And so he's, he's sort of in this beautiful leadership position. And I said, Stephen, how in the world are you able to execute all these tiny little tasks? And he goes, well, I can't. But I've empowered an amazing sea of volunteers because I've given them ownership in the organization as well. Right. And I think that that right there is the trick. Now, it's going to take time. It's going to be painful. You're going to have to work on that. And it can't just be done overnight. You can't just say, okay, I'm not doing slides anymore, right? Or, okay, I'm not going to do announcements graphics anymore. Okay, I'm not going to do the homepage slider. But it's kind of shepherding and discipling and bringing up people, men and women in your team, that want to invest, that want to partake, and inviting them to the table and saying, hey, how do we do this better? How do I lead people rather than constantly try and keep doing?
0: Right. I think that's a struggle for. Uh, quite a bit. I'm kind of amazed in, in Church Word a little bit as I'm taught to people how that, that concept um, is foreign or this idea of, well, if, if I get that up, then I won't have a job. What What do you mean? And it's like, oh man, you're so much more valuable if you have a job and give it away and have another job and give it away. And ha- and you're leading instead of doing. You're you're leading the doers. Um, you're yeah. so much more valuable if, if you move to that concept and not uh, except the myth of you're going to be out of a job. Uh, There's a guy so. named
1: Reggie Joyner. Many people may know him because of Rethink or the Orange Conference. But when he worked, he was really the, the sort of lead family pastor at North Point Community Church as it was uh, sort of growing up for the first 10 years. And he used to have a statement that basically when you became when you fully replaced yourself in an organization is when you become the most Uh, irreplaceable person in an organization, which Mm -hmm. may seem completely weird when you think about it. But listen, if you're willing to train up somebody else to do your job better than you or whatever, now you have margin to see all the holes and opportunities and and sort of uh, weaknesses, if you will, in any organization. And so when you fully replace yourself, you are now the most irreplaceable person on staff. Because anybody who knows how to multiply themselves – and invite people up and, and teach them and train them is somebody who any organization wants more of.
0: It's almost like you're you're on the watchtower as opposed to down in the trench. If you're in the trench, you can't see the big picture. You can't see right. the overall, uh, you know, where you're headed or or what's coming your way or or the big picture. Um, you know, if you if you're always doing, then your focus is on that the task as opposed to um, you know. Watching over um, and and leading the the doers um, totally, and
1: I think it's healthy to make sure you're in the trenches.
0: Everyone, absolutely, well. absolutely, <laughs> yep. To to let your team know that uh, you can get in there to to also have credibility to let them know that you do know what you're talking about. Um, things like that, I totally agree with you. Um, okay, so uh, in our remaining uh, minutes, I'm going to kind of bounce around a little bit and hit on a, a couple of different things. So let's talk about this idea of collaboration. Uh, you touched on it a little bit, but you, you use the, um, the example of Pixar as an example of collaboration, how they've never, ever bought a script or a, a, a pre-done movie that they are producing. They've always come up with it from scratch and collaborated together. Kind of use that and, and flesh that out as, uh, as an example of collaboration for us.
1: Yeah, it's pretty crazy because I'm a huge Pixar fan. And, I, you know, it's funny as I have met people who um, like Pixar films. Like, I think you either love them or you don't get them. There is very few people I've ever met that have ever said, oh, I hate that movie. You know, I hate Bugs Live. I hate Toy Story. I hate Finding Nemo. I mean, first of all, how can you hate any of these movies? They're some of the most lovable characters in the world. And in my opinion, thanks to Pixar, I'm now a Disney lover right I just love all things Disney but it's pretty fascinating because they've they basically announced and after their first 10 years now I don't know how this is now because I'm taking a lot of this from the book Creativity Inc which Ed Catmull really unpacks uh sort of a lot of the principles of Pixar and he shared in the book that in their first 10 years with all the success they had I mean almost every film they came out with in the first 10 years um there were six films, and it's Toy Story, Bug's Life, Toy Story Two, Monsters Inc., Finding Nemo, and The Incredibles. Um, every single one of them became a number one film the box office weekend that they were released. That's astonishing for any movie studio to have that sort of success. But then, for him, for Ed Catmull, say that we've never bought a script. That just shows you that when collaboration works best. By the way, there's also sort of some crazy statistics about Pixar. That I don't know if I mentioned in the book or not, but this idea that Pixar is full-time staff people. They don't hire you just for a project. They don't hire you just for a movie. You're put on salary, and you're a team. And we we thrive together or we die together. And I think that there's something beauty that comes out of that in this collaboration principle that when you truly realize, and this is sort of a culmination of this gobstopper image, because at this point in the book, we're on our third layer. You've got your uniqueness, then you coat that with excellence, and then you pile on people uh, into that. And when you're the best, when you're surrounded in a sea of the best use that exist in your community, um, success is going to come. Because things are beautiful when they're done the way that I think is biblical. And you may uh, want to ask me this, but I'm just going to jump to this just so I say this about collaboration. Sure. Carl, there, the biblical principle of collaboration is so powerful to me. It absolutely rocks my world when I encountered it. And that is this. God is not a one-in-one God. God is a three-in-one God. God could have very easily chosen to be to speak directly to us and be the Holy Spirit companion friend that walks with us on daily life. He could have very possibly chosen to send himself down <clears throat> and fix this issue of sin. Now, maybe he wouldn't have died or whatever, but he knew that he had to send someone in his place. And so it's funny because when you look at the very core of the Protestant Christian faith, it is a picture of collaboration which means God collaborated with himself to show us our own need for collaboration. And yet so often in the creative endeavors that each of us face every single day, we choose isolation, we choose to work on our own, we choose to separate ourselves from everybody else. And people may be sitting there going, well, maybe I'm not, or I don't feel like I'm hitting my creative potential. I'd say it partly could be because you've separated yourself from the biblical context of collaboration and that a team is designed to help you work your craft out even further.
0: Good man, solid. Um, yeah, uh, and it starts right at the beginning of Genesis. The this this idea of us, we, yep. we created, um, starts from the very beginning. That's awesome. Um, okay, so um, as we kind of wrap our conversation, um, maybe kind of help us land the plane and give us any practical tips for um, maybe the the last part of your book. So. collaboration or, or how to, uh, how do we make a difference? How do we know that we're unique and how do we unleash that creative potential inside us?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, so you, you, basically the very last, uh, layer of the gobstopper is this layer called contagiousness. And it's really this idea of like, when you are truly the best you in the context of other great views, um, and you begin to give God all the glory, all the opportunity, all the, all the praise for your calling, he's going to start putting you into places that change the world. And I think part of that starts with us understanding our influence, understanding that God may have us exactly where we are to change the world. I tell a, a, a great story in the book of my papa. He was 86 years old at the time when he bought his first iPhone. And uh, I'll never forget, sitting at the kitchen table with him. It was around Easter, so it was around this time frame, and um, and, and he had this iPhone, and he was reading this, this sort of little pamphlet thing. I said, "Peppa, what is that? And he said, oh, that's my it's the iPhone manual or user guide or something like that. And I was like, what? There's an iPhone manual? Like, <laughs> I had on an iPhone ever since the very first one, and I didn't even know they printed anything like that. And sure enough, he's reading through it. And as he's reading through it... um. He's just telling me all these crazy things. I'm like, golly, who knew that I could learn so much about an iPhone from such a, you know, old, wise man, right? And so anyway, a couple of weeks pass, and he comes back. And I think I'm home from Memorial Day or Labor Day or July 4th or something. And he um, ha- he happens to have a new car. And my papa's former car was no more than, like, three or four years old. So it's not like it was that old. And he he's a very frugal person, so he doesn't buy new cars all that often. And he still has this new car, by the way, today. And I said, Papa, what, you know, what's up with the new car? He starts telling me all these features that were amazing. He says, but Luke, the, the real reason I bought it is because of this technology called the Microsoft Sync, which I think is funny because it's not Apple, it's Microsoft. But I said, oh, what, what about that? He goes, it seamlessly integrates into our iPhone, or into my iPhone. And I literally had to pause for a second. I said, Papa, did you buy this car because it works with your iPhone? And he said, Yes. And, of course, our whole family died laughing, but it's just this powerful reminder that if a tiny piece of technology <clears throat> can affect the vehicle that my grandfather may drive for the rest of his life, then it's so imperative for us to realize that the medium of our craft or that the technology that we use in our services can become the very vehicle that hopefully changes someone's life. <clears throat> and when we realize the power of our craft and we realize the power of the, the sort of use of creativity, we naturally harness that in a way that wants to be contagious with it. We want to do stuff that points people back to Jesus. And that's where this contagious thing is so important, is that so often we want to use it for our own gain, our own glory, our own growth. But that all throughout the Bible, your gift was given to you so that you could help unlock other people's future, not just your own future.
0: So this is definitely it, uh, and and this might just be a continuation of what you just said, but what is your prayer for people as they, one, discover their call, uh, their calling, and two, uh, unleash their creative potential?
1: Man, my prayer is that people begin to see that it's not about doing, and I think that that's sometimes going to be missed in the second part because I try making it so... um, so practical that you can put some things into action. But my prayer, and, and this is sort of how I wrap the book up, is that I hope that people don't just put the book down and start doing right away. I hope they go and enter this sort of beautiful wait period that I talked about in the very first podcast of ours. But this concept of you've got to sort of always know that God has you where He's got you, and He's given you gifts. And when you come to terms, with the fact that your gifts can change the world. What are you going to do with that confidence? What are you going to create out of that? What are you, who are you going to create for? What is the outcome of that? Because as we step into our purpose, as we step into our calling, it is an act of worship, but not because we do anything, but because we're stepping into the trueness of the fullness of exactly who God made us to be, the same human being, the same man, woman, or child that Jesus died on the cross for. And when we understand that, the whole world around us transforms and people are going to see these glimmer and this glimpse of heaven in ways that they never have because you are being true to the person God made you. So my prayer is that people see that. My prayer is that when they see that, they don't just jump into this photoshopping their calling picture like I did, but my, my prayer, my hope is that they just hit the knees and they figure out a way just to sort of be still in the waiting and allow God to just invest into them as they begin to maximize their potential.
0: Tell us how we can get the book and keep up with you.
1: Yeah. So the best place to go to get the book is just go to creativepotentialbook.com. I've got the links of all the places you can get it. Um, And uh, you're more than welcome to follow me on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, That's probably the best way. And if, if there's still people that are a little bit unsure because, hey, listen, I know sometimes you buy a book for 15 bucks, 20 bucks. and you start reading, and you're like, Ugh, I don't know about this. I'm actually giving a couple of chapters away, so you can go to creativepotentialbook.com, sort of get a sample, figure out if you feel like this is something that's going to help unlock something for you. But uh, yeah, that's probably the best place to get it digitally, physically, wherever wherever books are sold, kind of.
0: Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate you.
1: Carl, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. I appreciate you having me on.
2: This has been an all-access interview from 1230 Media. For more interviews, training, and exclusive content for your production team, visit 1230.media training. Have you
1: ever noticed that create is the fifth word in the Bible and found in 60 of the 66 books? Since we're made in the image of our creator, this tells me that we are all inherently creative beings. Hey, I'm Luke McElroy, author of the new book, Creative Potential. In the book, I share my story of discovering my God-given calling as well as the principles that help each of us reach our maximum potential. To learn more, visit creativepotentialbook.com. That's creativepotentialbook.com.
0: For more on the podcast, including links to Luke's book, and other resources for your team, visit thechurchmediapodcast.com. That's thechurchmediapodcast.com. You can click on episode 145 for the show notes for this episode. Come on, do it. I dare you. On the next church media podcast. On the next episode of the church media podcast, Yours truly will be sharing with you nine reasons why I believe you should take your production team to visit another church. Yeah, you're going to want to hear that. That's next week on the show. Our podcast is a production of the Ministry of 1230 Media. The producer of our show is the master of all things audio, David Michael Hyde. And thank you for listening this week. Go out there, guys, and create some incredible experiences this weekend. I'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to The Church Media Podcast. Please take a minute today to
1: rate and review the show in iTunes.
2: For show notes, archive episodes, and more free resources for your team, visit thechurchmediapodcast.com. We'll catch you right here next week for another episode of The Church Media Podcast.